Well, I hope that you have enjoyed our Easter service so far right here at New Dimensions. It has been just a joy. If you're tuning in for the first time, this is just a great opportunity for us to interact with the key truth, the foundational truth of Christianity, which is that Jesus is risen. And I'm so excited to share that with you. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, it's my favorite account of the resurrection. Mark chapter 16, you can see it on the screen. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Verse 3 says, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. Isn't that the great truth of today? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Perhaps my favorite member of history, for anyone who knows me, they know that my favorite member of history is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this week commemorates the 52nd anniversary of his assassination in Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Motel. And in remembrance of his life and, and legacy, I watched a documentary recently called King in the Wilderness. I commend it to you. It's incredible. And it documented the last year of his earthly life. It documented uncomfortable parts of his activism and legacy. And what shocked me about this documentary was the wide, expansive, uncomfortably close picture it painted of Dr. King. For most of us, we think of Dr. King as the I have a dream speech giver. We think of him as the person who gave the March on Washington speech, or maybe I've been to the mountaintop. We think of him in these cookie-cutter caricature moments. We think of him as someone who has been flattened by history. We think of Dr. King as a very safe figure. Reality is king in the wilderness. It showed me a different kind of king. Well, you know, this is a different kind of Easter. It's a time where we're separated from the typical routine that's marked us, the typical spaces that we're in, the typical times where, where we would come to church and celebrate and have a very well-produced, highly exciting service. Some of us have traded our suits and our dresses now for pajamas or sweatpants or whatever you may be wearing. We've traded the things that we would normally do on this day for being at home, being confined to the season, being confined to staying safe, being confined to a quarantine. This is a different kind of Easter, but that's okay because I'm here to tell you today, Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is a different kind of king. This reality has confounded scholars and scribes for centuries. Jesus in himself exists as the most consequential figure in all of human history. He was a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet, a healer, and so much more. Jesus was real and alive. But more importantly and more controversial than that statement, Jesus is real and Jesus is alive. He's not a myth. 
He's not a figment of our imagination, but he is theologically, historically, socially relevant. Jesus is real, and he is risen. And so I'm here to, to basically give you just this sermon title, A Different Kind of King. Jesus is a different kind of king. If you're watching online, I want you to type up right now, Jesus is different. Jesus is different. He's a different type of king. Some 2,000 years ago, on a hill called Calvary, nicknamed the place of the skull. Imperial Roman forces executed this Jewish rabbi, and he was brought before the governor of the province, a man named Pontius Pilate, under the accusation of treason against the Roman government and Caesar's authority. Because he was being suspected of political insurrection, this local leadership influenced the Roman authority figures to kill this rabbi by crucifixion. It's the worst possible death of the ancient Roman world. Little did the Roman officials know they were not just crucifying a good teacher. They were not just killing a local celebrity. On that Friday before the Passover on a hill called Calvary, they were crucifying a Messiah. The name of this rabbi, of course, as I've mentioned, is Jesus. The Bible tells us that God came down in the flesh and he inhabited a human body and he wrapped himself up in our skin, experienced the same things we did. He went and lived his life, a commoner's life, a poor life, a life that not many people would have aspired to. Certainly not many people would have thought that a Messiah would come down and live. And he died a death that he didn't deserve. And then he rose from the grave. He is alive. I want you to type in again, Jesus is different. Jesus is different. And in my favorite account of the resurrection, Mark chapter 16, we see some ways that he's different. I'm just going to give you three adjectives. That's it. Three adjectives and I'm out of your hair. Three ways that Jesus Christ is a different kind of king. First thing is found in Mark chapter 16, verse 3. Look at it. And they asked each other, the women who were traveling towards Jesus' tomb, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, just like the rest of the disciples, the women in this story were in a place of uncertainty. After all, their leader had just been brutally murdered in front of them. They were lost and unsure of what they should do in the face of such grief and sorrow, yet they wanted to honor him. And so we know in the ancient context, women were deeply marginalized. They were unable to receive equal treatment in the eyes of the world around them. Yet as women have for centuries since, they didn't let anything or anyone stop them from getting to Jesus. These women could have been anywhere. They could have been hiding or grieving, but in the midst of their sorrow, they made the decision to come and honor the body of their Lord. There was just one problem, though. They asked the question, who will remove the stone? The tomb was blocked by a stone. Unless you think that this is any old stone, scholars have told us that this tomb stone weighed between two to 4,000 pounds. It was a heavy problem. It was a daunting reality and seemingly realized their issue. But ladies look at each other and say, hold up. When we get there, how are we going to remove the stone? Or more accurately, who will remove the stone? If we can use our spiritual imagination and see the stone as symbolizing bondage, sin, death, hell, and the grave, then I believe that this is a variation of a question that humanity has been asking from the beginning of time. In other words, who will do something about all this death? 
Who will do something about all this pain? Who will do something about all this sorrow? Who will do something about all this fear? The scripture tells us that the world was formed, and when it was formed by God, it was good, but sin entered the world. It broke something, and so now we look around, and we see that things are not as they should be, and what we realize is that now there's poverty and hunger in every city. There is death and destruction all around us. There is corruption and evil in places of power. There is despair and hopelessness among the people. There is a very real present evil in our schools and our homes. And to top these corporate realities, we realize that there is sickness and there is pain and there is betrayal and loss and heartache and discouragement. And yes, we're even facing down the barrel of a pandemic as well. But before we can appreciate the hope of, of Sunday morning, we have to see the despair of Friday afternoon before we can see the things that God will do through us. We have to go through the trials and we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And here we realize that there is a stone that's blocking our way to Jesus. There is a stone that's blocking our way to hope. It's a heavy stone. Who will do something about all this death? I want to give you just a brief interjection here. The first way, the first synonym I will give you to describe how Jesus is a different king. Listen to this. Jesus is the way-making king. Jesus is the way-making king. Can I give you just a little bit of a, of a reflection, just something that you can take with you and write down? I know it might offend you at first, but listen to me when I say it. Jesus isn't concerned with the same things you're worried about. Jesus isn't concerned with the same things you're worried about. Now, I don't mean that to say Jesus is callous towards your concerns. Jesus doesn't care about your tears. Jesus doesn't care about your pain. Quite the contrary, he cares very deeply. I'm just saying Jesus isn't concerned in the same way we are concerned. Can I prove it to you? Verse 4 says this, But when they looked up on the way to doing something good, they saw an obstruction. They thought that they weren't going to be able to get to Jesus. And in verse 4, it says, but when they looked up, get this, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. In other words, the problem that they have been worrying about was already dealt with by the time they arrived. You see, that's the kind of king I serve. Jesus is a way-making king. He's a different kind of king. He solves problems long before you arrive at your destination. Jesus is good enough to handle some things that you're worried about. That's the kind of king that we serve. And the problem is that when we think about pain and death and sin and sickness, when we think about all the things that we struggle with, all the things that we face, when we are faced and interacting with them, it can lead us to a sense of paralysis. We can stop what we are supposed to be doing, but I'm so glad that the women kept moving towards Jesus. Can I encourage you with something today? If you want to experience the way-making king, you can't stop moving. If you want to experience how good God is, you can't stop moving. Now, here's not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you have to break a, a quarantine or a self-isolation order. I'm not saying that you have to get outside of your house. I'm saying you can be physically stationary, physically still, but spiritually moving towards Jesus. I want you to type in, in the comment section right now, I will keep moving. If you have made up in your mind that you're not going to stop, that you're not going to stop doing what God has told you to do, even if there are physical limitations, I want you to type in the comments, I will keep 
moving. Just because I'm stationary doesn't mean I'm stuck. I want to experience the way-making king, and the way I experience the way-making king is he meets me in my movement. Did you hear what I just said? The way-making king will meet you in your movement. Take a step towards Jesus. Good thing about this is that all of us can take a step towards Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're not a Christian at all, or you've been a Christian for your entire life. Everyone can st- take a step towards the way-making king. He solved the problem before they even arrived. That's a good king. Number two, we see here in verse six that when they arrive, they are greeted with a messenger dressed in all white. And this messenger, he says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. But you need to know this, he has risen. Watch this phrase here, read the Bible. He is not here. He is not here. He's absent. Second thing Jesus is, is Jesus is the unexpected king. Not just the way-making king. He is the unexpected king. The messenger goes on to say that Jesus is risen, but he expresses that by saying he is not here. Now, in hindsight, that sounds good to us. But the reality is in the moment, if I were in the place of these women and the messenger robed in white told me that Jesus is not here, then I would ask, well, then where is he? Where is Jesus? Where has he gone? See, in that time period, just because he's not there doesn't mean automatically that he's alive because in that time, the leaders of a movement, whenever one of their leaders would die, they would grab their body and they would parade him around as though he were still living. And so many people thought that because Jesus wasn't in the tomb, because Jesus wasn't confined by the stone, that the disciples and the apostles had grabbed his body and now paraded him around and made it seem like he was still alive to keep the movement going. But, but this is different in this case. And the messenger says, he's not here. Isn't that the question of so much of our world right now? Question of so much of our world when we face trials and tribulations, tragedies, catastrophes, pandemics. Where is God? You ever ask that question? Where is God? During natural disasters, in the midst of pain and suffering, at times of uncertainty and political upheaval, the question that is most often asked in these cases is where is God in all of this? Where is he? Has he forgotten about us? Is he asleep? Has he left us to ourselves? I thought that this was the way-making king. Where is God? This is why you have to realize that Jesus is a different kind of king. He's the unexpected king. He's the king who shows up when you don't think he will. He's the king who's not in the places where you would assume he would be. Can I tell you this? Jesus doesn't act the way you think he should. Jesus doesn't act the way you think he should. Now, now I know for some people, they look at the where is God question, and they see it as the silver bullet, the thing that disproves all of Christianity. Well, if God is good, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. If God is good, he wouldn't have let these things take place. But I sit back and I ask the question, why would I want a God who acts the way I want him to act? Why would I want a God who does what I tell him to do? Why would I want a God who does everything that I expect him to do? That's not a God. That's my servant. And I don't know about you, but Jesus doesn't serve me. I serve him. We serve him. And so I don't expect God to act the way that I think he should. Can I press you just a little bit deeper? Why would I expect God to only act in one region of the world? Why would I expect God to only be moving in one cultural expression? Why would I expect God? 
God to only be moving in one socioeconomic bracket? Why would I only expect God to be moving in one denomination? Why would I only expect God to be moving in places of power and might and prestige and prosperity? Why would I expect God to act the way I think he should? Why would I expect God to do the things I expect him to do? That's no God at all. That's my servant. That's someone who I can predict. And God is so dope. He's unpredictable. God is going to move left when you tell him he should move right. God is going to go up when you tell him he should go down. God is so dope. He's keeping his own counsel. You got to realize he's God and we are not. What the disciples don't know is that God is always moving. Just because he's not here doesn't mean he's not moving. Can I tell you this? God is always active, even if he isn't where you expect him to be. God is always active, even if he isn't where you expect him to be. And this should be some encouragement to you, because we are all here improbably. Do you realize that the distance between us and the sun is just so that we can sustain life? Do you realize that we are the only planet in our solar system that, that houses as much life, that houses as many different types of species? Do you realize that you were born in this moment? Do you realize you didn't wake yourself up this morning? Do you realize that your digestive juices are firing without you thinking about it? Do you realize that your diaphragm is, is inflating and expanding and deflating and you're not even processing it? Do you realize that all these things are going on in your body? And I know some of you might say, well, that's chance, that's science. Well, if that's the case, okay, I want you to think about this. Think about all the times that you've made a mistake and didn't get caught. Think about all the times that you've been buzzed on a Saturday night and you still got behind the wheel and somehow, some way, you ended up at your destination safely. Think about all the relationships you were in that you shouldn't have been in, but you got out of them. Think about all the diseases you've had, but you still have the activity of your limbs. Think about all the things you've been through and no one found out and you're still here and I bet you're thankful that you're still here and and that's when you really need the unexpected God because if God operated how you expected him to act, he would have judged you and sent you straight to a burning hell. But my God is good and my God gives grace and mercy even when we don't expect it. He's the unexpected king. Just because you don't see him moving doesn't mean he's not active. Not only that last thing and then I'll get out of your hair. Notice in verse 7, he says, but go, I love this. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you. Huh. God is going ahead of us. Jesus is not just the way-making king. He's not just the unexpected king. Jesus is the powerful king. Jesus is different. God is ahead of you. See, if y'all caught that, you would start shouting. I know I can't hear you, but I hope you're clapping your hands. Jesus is ahead of you. See, if you understand anything about ancient culture, you know that among the things that every ruler has is a messenger. Every ruler has a messenger, and the king or queen had a messenger or a personal assistant that was tasked with sending and receiving messages for the monarch. So the ruler wouldn't move unless he was forced to. The ruler wouldn't leave her confine unless she was forced to. And in some cases, this personal messenger or servant prepares for the ruler by going ahead of them to make sure that the way was prepared. They are a herald. They are a forerunner. But the good thing is that Jesus, interestingly enough, subverts all the expectations. This is a small phrase, 
But this phrase means that Jesus went ahead to prepare a way. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked from John chapter 14, and it says, Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, this is opposite, because if he's the king, we should be going to prepare a place for him, but he recognizes our limitations. He recognizes our humanity. He says, I don't want you to prepare a place for me. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and then you can tell other people about me once you've gotten to the place that I've told you to go to. Now, this is really good because Jesus is powerful enough to be ahead of us. He's powerful enough to be ahead of us. And this is the great promise of the resurrection. Listen to this. The resurrection tells us that what is ahead of us is greater than what is behind us. Did you hear what I just said? The resurrection tells us that what is ahead of us is greater than what is behind us. Are you looking ahead? Do you have an eternal hope? Those of us who believe in Jesus, who believe that he is the unexpected king, who believe that he is the way-making king, who believe that he is the powerful king, recognize that there is always something ahead. That's why Jesus was predicting his life with prophecy. That's why Jesus was talking about what the Old Testament has said. It's because Jesus has this way of going ahead of us and preparing the way, subverting our expectations and carving out a path for us to walk into. You know, some people think of this as the Christian Super Bowl, right? Some people, we say this, I've even said it before, this is the Christian Super Bowl. We think of that because of the excitement of Easter, the excitement of Resurrection Sunday, and nothing wrong with that. But you know, I like to think of it in my way. Can I think of it in my way? I like to think of it as the ring walk. Now, you know, see, the first, the first sport that my father and I ever bonded over, it was boxing. Now, I love boxing. I'm still a boxing fan, massive boxing junkie. And the thing about boxing is I love the fact that it's mano y mano. It's not a team sport. Even though you have people who are cheering you on, even though you have a corner, even though you have people who are, who are applauding you, who are lifting you up and motivating you, I love the fact that boxing is one-on-one. -on -one. And, and, you know, whenever I think of the ring walk, you know, if you've ever been in a boxing match, you know that the ring walk is a time when the champion comes out and the champion is brought out by some people around him, and the people around him aren't able to get in the ring with him. You know, the champion wins the belt all by himself, but the ring walk people, the corner men, the people who are supporting him, the people in his entourage, they're able to tag along, and you know, I love the fact that they're able to hold up the belt, right? They didn't earn the belt, but they're able to hold it up all the same. And when you do your research on boxing, you realize that the goat of boxing is universally considered by many people, Muhammad Ali. You know, the, the person who had the sweet science, the, the heavyweight champion of the world. And, and Muhammad Ali was great, but you know, I always love to, to think about his corner man. I always love to think about this one particular corner man. His name is Bundini Brown. And Bundini Brown was one of the most famous hype men in all of boxing, in all of sports. And Bundini Brown was one of Ali's speechwriters. So Ali didn't just come in and quote that stuff off the top of his head, but he had a speechwriter named Bundini Brown. And, and Bundini Brown never got in the ring, and Bundini Brown was never the one who fought, but Bundini Brown was just set up just to say, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, rumble, young man, rumble. And then you know what he would say whenever they would enter in to the weigh-ins or whenever they would enter into the press conferences, he would stand up and say, the champ is here, the champ is here. 
And you know, see, for me, I love that. I love the hype. I love the fact that Bundini Brown was able to have a front row seat to all the amazing things that Muhammad Ali was doing, and he was able to announce his greatness to people, and he was able to hold up his belts. And, and you know, see, I, I realize that this is Easter, and there are probably a ton of churches that are, are going live right now, and I think we've forgotten just how dope and amazing our king is. You see, I, I, I think a lot of people forget it. You know, I've, I've tried to do other things, but I've dedicated my entire life to, to making sure that the name of Jesus is spread far and wide just to constructing all of my words to lift him up high. And, and you know, I'm a wordsmith. That's what I do. And, and the reality is I don't have enough words to sum up how great he is. I don't have enough words to sum up how dope he is. You know, but sometimes... Sometimes I have to tell you I feel like Bundini Brown because, see, I don't want to get in the ring. I don't want to fight my battles. If I'm fighting against sin and death and hell and the grave and disappointment and racism and greed and envy, I know I'm going to lose. But the reality is we got a champion. I just want to say the champ is here, y'all. The champ is here. The king is here. I just want to let y'all know that. And, and I have to tell y'all we've forgotten how amazing and how dope our king is. Our king is a true, undisputed, undefeated champion of the world. He fought death head up, a challenger who had been undefeated up until that point, and he made death behave. That's a good God. That's a powerful champion. And you know, sometimes I feel like Drew Bundini Brown, and I just want to give an introduction. I just want to let y'all know that the king is here. Can I do that? I know it might seem a little bit odd, but sometimes I just want to remind myself of how great Jesus is, and hopefully I can remind you of how great Jesus is. And, and you know, I don't have the right accurate words, and I don't have everything put together, but I, I'll just say it like, like I learned it when I was growing up. You see, someone said that when talking about Jesus in Genesis, he's the promised seed. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of my salvation. In Judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's my kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings, he's my reigning ruler. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the glorious temple. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the wall. In Esther, he's my advocate. In Job, he's my ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's my shepherd and my song. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom of the age. In Ecclesiastes, he's the meaning of life. In Song of Songs, he's the lover of my soul. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the watchman on the wall. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace who just so happens to look like the son of God. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband who's married to the backsliders. In Joel, he is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband who's married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's the restorer of justice. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great missionary. In Micah, he's the feet of the one who brings good news. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God our Savior. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord my 
mighty in judgment. In Haggai, he's the builder of the temple. In Zechariah, he is the king who's humble enough to come in on a donkey. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing rising in his wings. And I love that I serve a God who's that dope, but the reality is he's so dope that I give him 27 more books just to talk about how dope he is. You see, in Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the suffering servant. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the power of the Holy Ghost. In Romans, he is our righteousness of God. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he's our sanctification. In Galatians, he's our redemption. In Ephesians, he's our predestination. In Philippians, he's our supplier. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. In James, he's a power behind our faith. In 1st and 2nd Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's the commandment of love. In Jude, he's the foundation of our faith. And in Revelation, He's King of kings and Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, the world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. Leaders can't ignore him. Herod didn't kill him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my Jesus. That's my King. And I'm here to tell y'all the King is here. The king is here. Now, can you do me a favor? I know this is breaking with decorum. I know we're on a live stream, so they tell me that you're not supposed to do the call and response like people can hear you. But can I just say this? When I think about the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul shouts hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. Wherever you are, can you give this king a standing ovation? He is the king. The king is here. And that's what God is here to tell you. He's here to tell you the king is here. He's present with you. He's alive, ready to meet you, ready to have a relationship with you, ready to save you. Jesus is different. Somebody type that again. Jesus is different. He's different. He hits different because he saved us from our sins. If you're watching right now, wherever you are, maybe you're thinking about this Jesus Maybe you haven't experienced his goodness. Maybe you haven't encountered how amazing he is. But this Jesus is so powerful. He's so mighty that he wants to have a relationship with you out of the overflow of his attributes. He wants to experience relationship with you. He doesn't need you, but yet at the same time, Jesus loves you unconditionally. That's you, and you say, hey, I need to make a decision to walk towards Jesus. Remember, don't stop. Take a step towards Jesus. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up in the comments. Put your hand up in the comments. Put your hand up in the comments. And I know you might be saying, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk to this God, how, how to talk to this Jesus who I don't understand, who I don't know. But I want you to put your hand up in the comments and you're gonna pray this prayer with me. In this prayer, there's nothing powerful about my prayer, but the word of God says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that he's a different kind of king. If you confess and believe that you'll be saved. I just want you, wherever you are, I want you to lift up your hands. And I know it may seem odd, it may seem weird, it may seem like this is a, a hokey ritual, but I just want you to, you to say in your own way, God, I love you. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You're powerful. You're the king. And I know the way I've been living, the way I've been living is not the right way to live. The way I've been living, maybe it's riddled with sin. 
God, I've been doing my own thing. I don't want to follow my own way. I want to follow you in everything that I say and everything that I do. I trust you. I trust that you will transform me. I trust that you will make me unrecognizable, make me new. I choose to follow you. I choose to follow your way. If you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to reach out to us. I want you to text home to the number at the bottom of the screen because we want to encourage you in your walk. We want to pray with you. We want to lift, lift you up. We want to walk with you as you go throughout your journey with Jesus. Maybe you're making a decision to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe you need prayer about things that are specific, tangible things. You can also text home to the bottom, to the number at the bottom of the screen. And people are waiting to pray with you, waiting to lift you up, waiting to encourage you. We, we hope that you experience the life-giving, supernatural, transformative power of Jesus. Destroys yokes. It breaks strongholds. It sets us free. It transforms us from the inside out. I hope that you experience that love today, and I hope that this is not just something that you experience in a one-time event. I pray that this marks your life. It transforms your path. Will you pray with me? Father God, we lift you up right now. We acknowledge that you are a different kind of king. Jesus, you're good. You are a way maker. You are unexpected. You are powerful. You do things beyond our capacity. You do things beyond what we expect. So, Father God, right now we ask that you would come into homes, come into living rooms and bathrooms and bedrooms and wherever people are watching this. And I pray that you would make yourself real to so many people. I pray that they would experience your goodness, your greatness, your power, your might. I pray that they would experience how awesome you are. We thank you so much for your resurrection. We thank you that you came down, you were born to die, but yet you didn't stay dead. You overcame sin, death, hell, and the grave. We love you. We pledge to follow you. In Jesus' supernatural, mighty, grave-defeating name, that's the name we pray in. That's the name that gives us all the hope and confidence. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler, and on behalf of our entire team, we want to thank you once again for joining us at the New Dimensions online worship experience. We hope that you felt an incredible sense of love, life, and hope as we have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's something we believe in and commemorate not just on today, not just on Resurrection Sunday, not just in an Easter time, but throughout the entire year. If you've made any decision, whether it's salvation, rededication, anything that you feel like has given you the opportunity to take a step towards Jesus, you can text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. We are so proud of you. We're proud of you taking a step of faith and moving towards our risen King. And we just want to help you with anything that we can, put you in some groups, maybe encourage you or pray with you. You can text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. And once again, if you missed the opportunity to give earlier, generosity is such a core part of the gospel. In, in the fact that God has been generous to us, now we are generous to him and to others as well. You can give by going to ndccpensacola.org and clicking offerings. That's ndccpensacola.org. Obviously, you can also mail it into the P.O. Box number at the bottom of the screen, but you can give at any time throughout the week by going to our website. Thank you all so much for joining us, and next week we'll be back with a brand new sermon series. You ready? It's called Back to the Future.
That's right, it's called Back to the Future. It's brand new, it's exciting. I can't wait to preach and share it with you. And I hope next week you'll join us as well and that you will continue to rest in Jesus's resurrection. He is risen and now we have life in him. Hope you have a great day and a great week. We'll see you again soon.